Hello, all. It's Devara Krasniewski from Azayad. I'm working together with the Cranheim Jewish Community Council. And tonight is part four of our Shalom Bias Week. Uh, we've done several other workshops, and you can access all of those at azayad.org slash past-events. And if you have any questions during this call, you can send it to us via email at info at or you can send it to us anonymously to the anonymous form at adayad.org slash ask-anonymous-questions. Tonight we'll be talking with Rabbi Shay Taub on the topic of how to enhance your marriage even without the help of the spouse. Uh, so we'll just jump right into the call. Thank you, Rabbi Taub. Okay, so Rabbi, thank you for joining the call. Yeah, we've discussed, uh, in the past we've discussed about soft problems as opposed to hard problems, and we discussed that soft problems are one of the biggest reasons for divorce. Mm-hmm. So assuming that we're, talking, we're working with two healthy enough people, we're not talking about like abusive behaviors, mm-hmm. is, uh, people say it takes two to tango to make the change. But is it really at all possible that one person can be really the one to start it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... First of all, um, maybe before I answer your question, maybe I'll give a disclaimer. And that is, you know, you mentioned the hard problems and the soft problems. And I won't get into that again. People can listen to that. I think there's a recording from that from that talk where we went, in, went into that at length. But what I do want to say is my disclaimer is that um, I'm certainly not here to tell anybody that their problems are the hard problems and soft problems. Um, to tell you that you just need to try harder or to tell you that, that it's all in your hands and that you have the power to change it all. I'm not here to tell that to anyone. And, and the reason is because there is so much pain involved in when there is a lack of shalom bias. Um, I, I really truly feel that that is what touches us mostly, is our intimate relationships. is so intertwined with our self-concept. It goes all the way back to the beginning of, of humanity, when it's Adam and Chava, and we know that their awareness of their own um, capacity to, to bond intimately was intertwined with their awareness of, of, of self, um, which was also intertwined with shame. And when we talk about das, you know, as in the tree of, of, of das, of, of knowledge, what we're really talking about is um, our self-awareness, which has to do with our, our self-concept as a man or a woman in, a, in an intimate relationship. So when there are problems in that area, it touches us to the core, to the absolute core of our identity. And that's the reason why I want to make this disclaimer and say I'm not here to tell anybody who's feeling pain because of marital problems that they just need to um, take the initiative and try and be brave and be the one to change. And that's because I just can't take it upon myself to to decide for anybody how much pain and for how long they can endure pain. Um, so that's my disclaimer. So everyone has to decide for themselves whether or not what I'm about to say applies to them. And if, if you feel this not apply to your case for marriage, or because of you, or because of your spouse, or whatever it is, then I humbly, um, you know, re, I, I would say remove the advice, but I'm not even putting it out there. You know, in the first place, I'm just, if it applies, if it doesn't apply, it doesn't apply, um, that's the disclaimer. Okay, so now, if I remember the question after that long disclaimer, which is probably going to be longer than my actual answer, the question was, can change in a marriage begin with oneself? And 
let me just say, I'm, I guess this is another disclaimer. I'm into the disclaimers today. I'm not a marriage therapist. I'm not a therapist at all. I'm a rabbi, specifically a Hasidic rabbi, specifically a Chabad Hasidic rabbi, which means my training is in Hasidus. And um, for whatever that's worth, my commentary is that change always begins with oneself. Everything we do is personal avoida. Everything in life comes down to me and my relationship with Hashem. And it radiates out from there. So anything I want to change in my life, really, it starts with me changing myself. And when I'm talking about changing myself, what I really mean is my relationship with Hashem. And when I reprioritize my own decisions about my own behaviors, then there's a ripple effect. And I, I don't control anyone other than myself, but I certainly do influence them. And when I start to control myself in the ways that I've decided to do, um, then people react to me differently. It's not a promise that they're going to react to me the way I want them to. It's not a promise they'll react to me the way they should. But it is certain that when one part of a system changes, then the whole system begins to change. And the only part of a system which I'm part of that I can change is myself. So, yes, when I'm part of a marriage, um, when I start to change myself, it does change the marriage. It changes the, the dynamics. It changes the energy, it changes the, um, changes the whole overall context. And that's, that's the answer to the question. Now, the hows, uh, you know, how we actually do it, maybe, uh, you know, I don't want to take away uh, your, your questions, maybe those, those are your other questions about how you actually do it. But the answer to the original question is a yes or no question. Yes, absolutely. We can begin with ourselves, focus on ourselves and our own personal change, and that has tremendous influence on everything around us, including and perhaps especially on our closest relationships. So let's talk about what some of those resistances. When people say, why should I be the one to change? Right. Can you address that? Well, I'll give a real practical answer. Why should I be the one to change? Um, no one's picking on you. It's just, you know, <laughs> who, who else is going to be the one to change? Or, or, or I'll, put it different, I'll put it differently. Who else are you going to change? Hakhil bidei shemaim chutz shemaim, right? They just say everything is in the hands of heaven except for one's all of heaven. So, yiras shemaim, all of heaven is a pretty broad category. I mean, basically, uh, the more chassidus you learn, the more you learn that everything sort of, all your choices have some moral um, aspect to them, some moral implications. So you don't really get to choose what happens to you, you know, the way God's running the world and how he has other people in your life behave, but you totally control your moral choices, your own Yiddishamayim. But that's your own Yiddishamayim, your own moral choices. You don't get to choose other people's moral choices. So when you ask, why should I be the one? Well, if you want power, let's look at it this way, if you want to actually exercise a decision that you have the power to carry out, if you actually want to put forth energy that you can guarantee will be well spent, then really the only option you have is to change yourself. Certainly, you know that all the energy that you've expended getting the other person to change has not been fruitful. In fact, it's been pretty much the opposite. It's led to frustration, which is probably why somebody finds themselves even asking this question. Somebody saying, you know, my marriage is in trouble. Why should I be the one to change? Okay. So you're at the point already where you're saying my marriage is in trouble. I'm guessing that you didn't wake up yesterday and decide that. You probably have been aware of it and tried to do something about it, and probably what, part of what you tried to do is getting the other person to 
act differently. Um, and the question, I guess, is, you know, how, how, how did that work for you? Um, so if you found that frustrating, which it's always frustrating when we try to make choices for other people. You know, we have free will to make decisions, but only decisions for ourselves. We don't have free will over other people's decisions. So when we try to exert that type of um, control where we have none, yeah, we're going to end up frustrated. So the question becomes, okay, so if you're done with that, if you're frustrated trying to get other people to behave differently, getting other people to make different decisions, all right, are you ready now to be empowered? Do you want to start making decisions that you're actually going to be able to carry out? Are you, are you, are you interested in changing yourself? So that, that's the practical answer to the question. Why should you be the one? Because you're the one who can choose what you're going to do. You're not going to be able to choose what the other person is going to do. So let, let's make decisions that we actually will make us feel empowered, will make us feel that we have some personal dignity, make us feel less of a victim, less reactive, more proactive, that kind of stuff. Let, and, and, and when we start to do that and we start to you know, get our self-respect, self-respect back and we start making decisions that we can actually carry out, you know, not only um, is it just more effective, but we start feeling good about it because um, you know, in contrast with the frustration you feel and the exhaustion and totally being emotionally drained when you're trying to get other people to behave the way that they should, um, this is the exact opposite. This is very fulfilling, very satisfying. Um, the hard work doesn't tire you out because you know we don't get burnt out from hard work. We get burnt out from wasting our energy. But when we work hard and we see results, then uh, then, then then we feel satisfaction. When you guide to Matsosi time, so when you toil, you work hard, then uh, then you find. But that's toiling to find within yourself. Not that if I toil, somebody else is going to find what I, what I want them to find. All right, you know, so if, if only it worked that way. If everyone we loved, all we would have to do is work hard, and they would make the discoveries. But that's not how it works. We work hard, we make our own discoveries. They work hard, they make their own discoveries. So <laughs> that's it. It's, it's on us. Each one of us, we've got to be the one to make the first move. That's the only practical, sane way to go about it. Right. So, but then so following that train of thought, if it's too hard, and maybe it's not even worth it, so I shouldn't even try at all. Why are we fighting so much? You know, mm-hmm. what is it worth it? Or should I put the energy to something else? Mm-hmm. Well, let me lean into that question, um, and, and, and let me let me let me flow with it, because there's part of the premise of the question that I agree with. Um, which is, yeah, you're right. Why, why is there so much resistance? Why are you fighting so hard? You're right. So a little bit of what I'm saying is, yeah, okay, so let's let go a little bit. Let's stop struggling so much. Let's stop fighting it so much. But, but let me qualify what I mean by that. Where are we feeling the resistance? Where are we feeling the, you know, like you're, 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 you're turning a doorknob that's locked? If we think about it, it's really when we're, when we're trying to exercise control over the other person's behaviors. That's what's wearing us out. And that's where we're getting resistance. And that's why, um, you know, it's such a struggle. So in that aspect, yeah, maybe let's let go. Um, I heard a good acronym, uh, DETACH. We talk a lot about detachment, you know, letting go, letting go gracefully, you know, uh, giving people space. So detach is an acronym, Roshetevis, for don't even try and change him or don't even try and change her, whatever uh, gender is appropriate. So let go, yeah, and stop struggling, stop banging your head against the wall as far as trying to get specific reactions because, you know, we're, we're seeing that's just, um, a losing battle. But where can we put in hard work that's going to feel satisfying? You know, like I was talking about earlier, when I make decisions about how I'm going to behave, then I can be satisfied because I, I can implement that. I can make goals for myself and I can achieve them. Um, not if I define my goals as I'm going to do such and such and then he or she is going to respond in a certain way. Well, that's not fair to myself because I don't know how he or she is going to respond. I don't control that. 
but I can make goals about how I'm going to behave. I can even make goals about how I'm going to respond to someone else's behavior. And, um, and there I can feel accomplishment. Not only can I feel accomplishment, I will, I will, I will accomplish. So to, to answer the question about, you know, why is it worth the struggle and maybe if it's so much struggle it's a sign just to, to let go, yeah, okay, fine, you're right. Um, let go of trying to elicit specific reactions from other people. That's in general, and especially with, with a spouse. Let go of that. That struggle, you're right, is not worth it. We've proven to ourselves thousands of times over and over again that it's not worth the investment. People are going to do what people are going to do. So um, let go. And then an amazing thing happens when we're not wasting our energy trying to control what's uncontrollable, or rather what's uncontrollable by us, then we have all this new energy that we forgot that we had to focus on accomplishing our own goals. Another thing happens, by the way, which um, a lot of times when we are struggling and putting forth a lot of energy, um, I'm talking about fruitless energy, um, there's this sort of um, approach avoidance dynamic that takes place. You see this a lot where, you know, one couple is leaning in, I mean, one, one spouse is leaning in, there's a couple and one is leaning in and one is leaning out. And it's almost like a seesaw. You know, the more one is going up, meaning putting in effort into the marriage, then the more the other one is like exactly uh, inversely going down, meaning um, not putting effort into the marriage or even putting your efforts elsewhere. So one of the ways of breaking that cycle, and definitely is a cycle, the, the, the pursuit avoidance um, cycle, you know, uh, is let go, but letting go doesn't just mean spitefully like, okay, do whatever the heck you want, I don't care about you, uh, sour grapes. Let go means, okay, you're an adult, you have free choice, I can't control you, um, I accept that reality, and now I'm going to put the focus on myself and the ways that I can grow um, as a person. And what that does is, A, it breaks the cycle of the approach and avoidance of the pursuit and uh, uh, the, the, the uh, pursuit and avoidance sort of uh, seesaw that I was describing. Um, B, another thing that happens or can happen is that when you have all of this energy to work on yourself and improve, improve yourself, that's actually very interesting. You know, people who are growing, who are healthy, people who have dignity and self-respect, who are taking care of themselves in the right way, other people are interested in that. They are attracted to that. They want to be around that. They want to get some of that, you know, they want, to, they want some of that to rub off on them. So it, it, rather than trying to work on the other person, which is pushing them away, working on yourself, not only does it have the advantage of it's actually productive instead of, you know, wasting your energy, but it has the, another advantage of it actually makes you a desirable person to be around or it increases how desirable of a person I'm saying you're already a desirable person to be around, but when you work on yourself, you take care of yourself, you are growing, you are attentive to your own needs, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, then it's the exact, has the exact opposite effect. Um, again, the purpose isn't in order to elicit a response from the other person. It's not a chess move. Um, it's not... I'm going to make this move and, and because I'm anticipating you're going to make another move. Um, it has to be genuine. It has to be real. In other words, I'm growing as a person because that's what I ought to be doing anyways. If it happens to make me a more pleasant person to be around um, and 
it happens to then benefit my relationship with my spouse, that's great. That's a bonus. But I'm, I'm working on myself because that's what I'd be doing anyways because that's what you know, we were given 120 years to, to do. I think in this we call it being a panini. Panini means the work that I'm doing, I'm not doing it with an agenda. I'm doing it for its own sake. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. And then it happens to have all types of side benefits that are wonderful. Okay, that's really good. Um, so a few things came to mind as you were discussing that. Firstly, that I think it's important for people, especially younger people, to realize that conflict is a healthy part of marriage. It's a normal part of marriage. And when the beginning stage of Lala is over, and that's the way it's designed by God, then then we start getting into conflict. That is what happens. Not everything is going to be beautiful and romantic and wonderful from day one till day 120 years later. Mm-hmm. So I think that normalizing is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and conflict is part of any relationship, especially a close relationship. People are bound to have different opinions, different ways of doing things. And when you're married and some of the things you're doing are affecting the other person directly, yeah, there's bound to be conflict. And conflict really isn't a... I, I, as far as I understand, conflict is not even really an indicator of a marital problem. I mean, not, what I'm saying is not only is conflict itself not a problem, it's not even an indicator of other problems. It's just sort of part of marriage. I believe what they say is a major indicator of problems in a marriage is avoidance of conflict. That, that's a different story. But conflict itself... Um, is not a problem. I think what we can do is, as we mature, learn how to be more uh, respectful when we're in conflict. In other words, um, most couples tend to disagree about the same stuff for their entire marriage. Whatever it was that they first thought about they're probably going to continue fighting about that for their entire lives. But what they do is they fight more gently, they fight more respectfully, uh, they mellow. So one of, the, one of the skills to develop as a married person is not how to avoid conflict, and not even necessarily how to resolve conflict, but just that when it comes up to do it respectfully, to do it low-key, don't put so much energy into it, it's not worth our energy, it's just a thing that happens, it's a thing we go through from time to time, and just sort of um, don't feed it, don't, uh, don't, uh, don't give it extra energy, which I think is one of the mistakes, especially that young couples make is they take the conflict so personally, or maybe even they get so scared, they're frightened of it. And it touches them so deeply because of the fear involved and because of the maybe the personal affront that they feel, maybe they feel slighted, insulted, and then and then the fight becomes impassioned and, and that's that can cause problems and because um, when there's all that energy into the conflict, then we say things that can, can drive us apart and do things that can drive us apart. But uh, if the conflict itself can just sort of be, sort of just acknowledge it as one of those things, just part of life, and we just say, oh, yeah, there's that conflict again, just sort of ride through it, you know, then it really doesn't have to be a problem whatsoever or, or even an indicator of a problem. So going back to what we were talking before about why should I be the one to change, another slightly different way of looking at it is if I'm making a change, that means I am admitting that what I was doing before was wrong. And for some people, that's very difficult yeah. to, admit, to make that admission. Well, first of all, you don't have to say it was wrong. You could say, I know a better way now. 
you know, I'm older and wiser, and now I know a better way. So there's, I don't think anyone should have any problem with that. We're always growing, we're always changing, we're always improving. Or another way to look at it is you can say, well, it's not wrong, meaning it's not objectively wrong. On paper, it's right, um, but who cares? It's not working. You know, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? So, all right, I, 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 my way is right. But what good does that do if it's causing, um, it's causing me frustration? So I, th- I think it's easy to let, to let go of that. It's, it's, it's okay to say either A, what I was doing was okay, but I found a better way, or B, which I think is a, the bigger bittle, uh, of saying, you know what? It doesn't matter if I'm technically right. It's not working for me, so let me abandon that and let me be open, let me be receptive to a way that's going to be more satisfying. Now let's get it. Let's get into it a little bit more. So, what would be some key mindsets or mindset shift that would enhance the marriage for for the one person who's working on it alone? What would be some a new way of thinking about it? Um, we did a conference call you know, a month or two ago, so I'm not sure if I'm recycling my own stories at this point yet, but I believe I may be. But it's it's worthwhile to tell the story. Um, there was um, a Hasidic Rebbe who's uh, descended from the Ruzhina. The Ruzhina was a great grandson of the Mezid Shemagid. And this particular court, Husyatnik, uh, said this is descended from the Ruzhina, and they're from the Ukraine. And during the 1930s, they ended up in Vienna, Austria, which was a very cosmopolitan, very modern city at the time, not a, a place where there were traditional Jews. So the Hushatna Rebbe was walking down the street in 1930s Vienna, and a German reporter saw him and asked somebody, who is that interesting person? So somebody said, well, he's the Hushatna Rebbe. He's not a regular rabbiner in German, a rabbi's rabbiner. He's a wunder rabbiner, a wonder rabbi in German. Um, so the reporter said, well, I would like to meet Avunda Rabbeinah, Avunda Rabbi. So we arranged a meeting. And the reporter asked the Chusyat Nerebbe, I hear that you are Avunda Rabbeinah, Avunda Rabbi. Could you tell me what that is? So the Chusyat Nerebbe said, well, you know, a regular uh, rabbi, a rabbiner, a regular rabbi, he, he, he runs a congregation, so he's in control of the whole shul. Then you have a bigger rabbi, like the, 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 the Shtatrov, the city rabbi. He, he controls the whole city. Then you have even bigger than that, like the chief rabbi. He controls the whole country. Then you have the Wunder Rabbin, the Wunder Rabbi. He controls himself. So, by the way, interestingly, if you think about it, according to Tanya, a Wunder Rabbiner is a Benini in the language of Tanya, right? Somebody who controls himself. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> what uh, maybe what one person calls a wonder rabbi, a rabbi, you know, we, 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 off the time you might call a bainini, but whatever the term you want to use, he controls himself. Um, we don't control other people, even those closest to us, especially those closest to us, and we cannot control them. So, uh, let's look at it like this. Um, Maybe maybe it'll help to step away from, from marriage for a second because it's maybe so emotionally charged. But let's go to something that's perhaps equally as emotionally charged, but just to change the subject and just to give us a little bit of distance. Let's talk about chinuch. Let's talk about raising our children. Okay. Is our duty, and it's a mitzvah, shenantah, we have a mitzvah, okay. is our duty to get our children to behave? That sounds like a frustrated parent. That sounds like a parent who's annoyed with their child's behavior. I just need my children to behave. No. Our duty, like every mitzvah we have, is there's some behavior that's incumbent upon us. So my duty as a parent is to parent. Or I might even say just to parent to be the kind of parent that my child deserves to see. So 
Chinuch isn't making a child behave. Chinuch is actually making myself behave like the kind of parent that my child deserves to see. All right, so let's put it back into the framework of marriage. Color bias isn't the skill of getting your spouse to act the way you want them to. So it is mastering yourself and being the best spouse you can be. Okay. So building on that, are there any other mindset shifts that from the way of previously perhaps nagging or fetching that would be in this line of how to do this on your own? Um, yeah. Um, I think one thing is a lot of times emphasis is placed on communication. And there's a presupposition that we need to learn how to communicate better. And communication is certainly a nice thing to have, nice to be able to communicate. But it's not the end-all and be-all. And it's certainly not the foundation of any relationship. Um, communication is something that happens between two people who already have a relationship. Um, the focus isn't on learning how to speak better, to be more articulate. And, and, and I'll put it like this. For most people who are frustrated in their marriage right now, they will tell you, I've, I'm speaking till I'm blue in the face. I've, I've told him a million times, or I keep telling her that. So is it really that you're not articulate? Is it really that you don't know how to say what you want to say? Of course, you are speaking. You've, you have said it over and over and over again. So clearly, that's not the issue. Taking responsibility for your own behaviors and sort of looking at marriage in this light, the way we're describing it, um, you know, looking at how to be the kind of spouse that I want to be, doesn't even require any communication, doesn't require a discussion. Uh, in fact, it's probably best done without any discussion. In other words, if you go and you tell your spouse, hey, I just heard this interesting call and I made a decision that I'm, I'm now going to stop trying to uh, elicit particular behaviors and responses from you, and I'm going to look at marriage as a, an opportunity for my own spiritual growth and check it out and watch and tell me how I'm doing. That, would probably, that, that proclamation would probably almost entirely undercut the value of whatever um, growth process it is that you were about to embark upon. So um, one thing is don't worry so much about the talking. Don't worry so much about the communication. Um, you don't have to label everything. You don't have to describe everything. It can just be what it is, uh, which is your own personal growth process. Another thing I, I would add, and, and this is a sensitive topic again, and, and I want to harken back to my original disclaimer at the beginning of the call, uh, which is that I can't tell anybody how much pain they should endure or for how long they should endure pain. Um, but what I will say is the whole point of the soul's descent into this world is to be tested. And one of the ways that the soul really descends into this world and really gets involved in bringing other souls into this world and settling this world is, is through marriage and building a family. The real Terebetach Tainim is, is, in, is in a home and a family and, and marriage and the relationships in, under your own roof. Um, and that's all beset with Nisyeinis. Soul comes down and is tested. And the biggest part of the soul coming down, or really what it means to come down, is to build a Jewish home, <clears throat> be involved in that, you know, the day-to-day, -day, the domestic stuff. And so it's all full of challenge. But the, po the point the soul comes down is for challenge, for tests, trials, tribulations. So it's not surprising that Hashem sets us up with someone who is going to us. 
or someone who is going to push buttons or who is going to uh, their rough edges are going to exactly align with our most sensitive spots you know it's no coincidence it's no coincidence at all and Hashem sets us up in marriage in order to give us growth opportunities now again if somebody is going through hell and they feel that they've learned all the lessons they can learn and they've been pushed as far as they can be pushed and they can't learn anymore they can't benefit anymore from the test and they feel enough is enough I'm not going to judge that decision what I am saying is for those who feel that they are committed to stick it out through the difficulties and through the pain that they should know that it's not for naught um, that it's not just about um, succeeding in spite of the pain but that the pain itself is all part of the success it's divinely orchestrated it's divinely planned it's exactly the challenge it's exactly the kind of obstacle that your neshama needs and again I'm not telling anybody that they have to stick it out for that reason but what I'm saying is that um, don't be discouraged don't be frightened by the challenge um, it is your challenge um, when you hit an obstacle in marriage don't see it as a sign of failure don't see it as you have a backbite for your belt uh, a lousy hand see it as another opportunity for personal growth I'm giving you a test so that you will reach inside of yourself and develop your potential so again you're asking uh, what, what are some of the ways to look at marriage and to take the take the approach that it's about me and, and what I can do and what I can change I think that's one of the big um, paradigm shifts is look at the entire experience of being a married person as uh, Hashem's way of tailor make for you that will bring out your best um, for a while we've been talking yeah, about uh, mindset a lot of what we spoke about until now was about mindset the way to be thinking mm-hmm. about it are there any specific tips techniques or tools but to actually be doing rather than only thinking and having a mind shift now of course a lot follows your mind the way you're thinking sure. is there anything specific that someone can do or not to yeah do? behaviorally that's a fair question um what I would say to the question about what you can do behaviorally in actual mice the as we call it uh, but I would say is like this experiment remember before I was saying you know you asked about what, what, what should a person do when their attitude hey what am I doing wrong maybe what I'm doing is right watch why I watch I change it if it's wrong and I said well it might be right but if it's not working then you got to try something else okay so um, let, let's let's go back to that for a second you're asking what behaviors. I don't know try out different behaviors um, there are a lot of behaviors that might be right but they might not work so experiment trial and error I think you know it's 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 almost like you know sometimes let's say a person re- responds poorly to a certain food not that they're allergic but they don't, they don't do well with certain food it makes them sluggish makes them tired it drains uh, their energy and they don't realize it they go through their whole childhood their whole adolescence and then finally you know one day you know you're 30 you're 40 you're 50 and you say you know what let me try cutting out this food and you don't eat that food for two weeks and I feel completely different what is okay there's a certain trial and error experiment with different behaviors 
Or, you know what, you could even do it as a mental exercise. You can think about certain times, even in a marriage where you're experiencing frustration, obviously there are times when you're experiencing things that working smoothly, and it's a pleasant uh, interaction. But think about those times when things are pleasant, and ask yourself, what was I doing? What was I doing? Um, because I know sometimes it seems to us like it's totally random. It's like, I don't even understand. Um, you know, I, I don't know what behaviors I'm doing that elicit the types of treatment that, uh, that I, that I want to receive. But what, what, what I'm saying is nine times out of ten, there is something you're doing that elicits a certain reaction. Maybe it's not what you are paying attention to. Maybe you are attributing, um, you know, you're, you're looking at one behavior and you're ignoring another behavior. But if you try to be methodical about it and you try to be aware, experiment with which behaviors are going to be more successful and which ones are going to uh, be the opposite. Another thing to keep in mind regarding that is that probably some of the, well, I'll put it like this. There are 248 positive commands, so there's 365 negative, and, uh, you know, a lot more don'ts than there are do's. Um, and there's a reason for that. You know, the, the boundaries, the don'ts in a relationship are, are, are a lot more uh, foundational. They have to come first. There has to be safety. There has to be safety. I have to know that what I say I don't like, you're not going to do it anyway. And then there can be the do's. There can be the warmth, the giving um, that I can receive from you. So it's a lot more important, you know, what I don't do because of my spouse than what I do for my spouse. So if I'm looking at my own behaviors and I'm experimenting with them, um, one of the things I want to look at is what's the thing I do that is making my spouse uh, unhappy? Like what am I doing? And I probably know it. And if I, if I stop and I think about it, my spouse probably told me about it hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, and said, please don't do that. And I probably have a really, 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 really good reason why I have to do it anyway, right? Because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a bad person. I wouldn't just do something that my spouse doesn't like, but I have a really, 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 really good reason why I have to do it anyway. Okay. Uh, if you relate to what I'm saying right now, so let's just stop a second and, 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 and think like this. Okay. This really, 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 really good reason, I'm going to bet you that if you would look at that really, 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 really good reason, you're going to find something, you're going to find gold. You're going to strike gold as far as an opportunity to work on yourself. Because I'll put it like this. Anything that's that important to me, that becomes that, that commands that much an obedience from me, something that's so important, um, and that I, to the extent that I keep pursuing it, even when I know that my spouse doesn't like it, I think it's worthy of examination. Just for my own personal growth, why is that thing such an important thing to me? Or if I can allow myself the liberty of maybe, maybe speaking a little bit, uh, I don't know, provocatively, but why did that thing become such a getchka to me? In other words, my spouse doesn't like it. I know that. But it's really, really important that I have to do it anyway. Okay. So that sounds like a really powerful idol um, that I have to appease and satisfy that thing to the extent of doing something that I know is going to make me and the closest person in my life miserable. So that would be a really great opportunity for just looking at myself and, you know, what I might find is that thing that's so important that I have this really, 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 really good reason to do it anyway, even though I know it's just um, driving a wedge between me and my spouse. If I look at it, I will probably also find that that is the same thing that drives a wedge between me and Hashem. It's the same thing that drives away between me and my true self, meaning my neshama, my mission, my calling in life. 
it's probably that thing that's so important that and for whatever reason is and, and, if, and if, you're, if you're interested in analyzing how the origins of it and how it how it started um, you know you can you can go and do that work or or just even to be aware of it you don't necessarily have to know where it comes from but just to be aware that that's a um, a weakness that there's this thing that is commanding so much obedience so much compliance from you uh, that's a really it's really a worthwhile place to start looking if you want to look to become more free become more um, empowered to have more choices to enjoy being yourself and, and, and living your life and um, doing what it is that you came to this world to do that's so yeah that's probably a really good place to start looking um, as far as your own discovery and figuring out what it is that you need to overcome. So a, call, a question actually just came in, and uh, she, I guess it's she's writing that uh, my husband and I are always bickering about uh, the house. I want it to look beautiful, and he's very practical, so he'll put uh, hooks anywhere he thinks a hook should be. And it's really bugging me, and he doesn't listen. Yeah. Well, that is that is frustrating um, because you have one house, and if you could just have two houses, it would solve the problem. But that's, that's not how it works. With so bias, you have to have, have the same bias. So let's first acknowledge that that is very annoying. But let's let's say like this. You've told him hundreds of times. He seems not to get it. Something about him. He's not getting. He's not. He's not doing it despite you. He just uh, clearly. He's not doing it despite you. It's not like a passive-aggressive way of taunting you. He doesn't get it. Okay. He probably didn't get it long before he met you. Um, chances are, the odds are, it's going to continue being something he doesn't get. It's just something. You know, Hashem gave us all our strengths and weaknesses, and it's not one of his strengths. So the question is, uh, we have to ask ourselves, we don't like it. We don't like it. In fact, we, we, we don't like it is an is a understatement. We really, really don't like it. But the question is, is it demeaning? Is it abusive? Is it... Um, is it it's in the dining room. Okay. So can I live with it? Can I live with it? Is it something that is compromising my safety? Is it something that's compromising my my my, my spiritual uh, well-being, or mentally, or emotionally, or physically, or is it just something that I don't like? I strongly dislike. Mm-hmm. If it's just a matter of being something that I strongly dislike, the question is. Can I accept the fact he's not doing it to fight me, he's not doing it to hurt me, he doesn't get it, it's his blind spot. I know I told him a thousand times, but the fact is he doesn't hear it. For whatever reason, it doesn't compute, it doesn't get it. Can I let go of it? I accept the fact that this is the way this person is. Um, because the other option is to constantly be affronted by it and to constantly be frustrated by it. The likelihood that the behavior is going to change is very, very uh, very small, very small likelihood the behavior is going to change. So whether it's putting up hooks in the wrong places or it's, it's, it's other behaviors, Question to ask is: Is it compromising my spiritual well-being, my mental health, or or is it something I just really, really don't like? And and if so, can I just live with it? Can I just accept that this is reality? I wasn't sent to this world with, with the world being already perfect. The world of imperfection, a world of challenges. This is one of the challenges. This is one of the challenges orchestrated divinely by my maker, the same maker who made me the person who loves making sure that everything looks exactly right, 
that same infinitely wise Abishter made sure I should marry a guy who doesn't even realize you can put up a hook in the middle of the night. A similar story I heard from Mrs. Ruddle after her husband passed away. That uh, he was known for his animals and things like that, and he used to bring them into the house. And, of course, you could just imagine that that would freak her out at the beginning. But Mm -hmm. later she just got used to it, and she said it actually made him appreciate her getting used to it, and it actually brought them closer by her letting letting it go that there were snakes and insects in her house. Mm -hmm. So it was was one of those stories that really touched me. um, We're getting toward the end of the call. I just have one important question that I would like to cover. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there anything uh, that we should not do, or like what kind of support should one get, or what kind of supposed support should one avoid when you're trying to okay. work on your marriage alone? We try to work on your marriage alone. So, there's, I mean, there's professional help, and then there's um, non-professional help. Um, one thing to be aware of is if you if you have made the decision to work on your marriage alone, um, if you're going to talk to friends about it, you have to be careful you're going to have supportive friends um, because it's hard work. Um, working on yourself is always hard work. And if people who think they're being supportive, for instance, are going to take your side and they think they're supporting you, oh, I wouldn't live with that. Oh, you're right, that's terrible. Oh, it really is your spouse's fault. Well, you can't accept that. Well, that's, that's, they mean well. They're trying to support you. But really, um, that just brings you back to your, you know, the, 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 the position of, well, it's not my problem. It's my spouse's problem. I don't have to change. They have to change. Okay, great. So now we're back to the position of I don't have to change. The other person has to change. All right, so now what are you supposed to do? Sit there and wait till they change? Or even worse, exert all your energy trying to make them change when that's not going to be productive? So that's one thing is just to be aware if you are working on your marriage alone, it can be very, very productive. It can be very productive. But if you're talking to friends, make sure it's the kind of friends who get that and who understand the value of it so that they're going to uh, support you in the right way. Um, As far as professional help, I think it's very easy to figure out who can be helpful because – you just ask, like a marriage counselor, will you do marriage counseling for one person? A lot of marriage counselors will laugh and say, how can you do marriage counseling for one person? Um, because the way they define marriage counseling as opposed to like individual counseling, marriage counseling, so individual counseling is if you're talking to one person. Marriage counseling is if you're talking to two people, which is basically just defining the type of counseling based on how many people are in the room. Which is kind of silly. They're not, it's not about how many people are there. It's about the methodology. Individual counseling is you know, about insight and self-awareness, self-discovery. Um, marriage counseling is about how to make a marriage more successful. It's about your relationship. Not about looking at the, you know, understanding yourself better, but really about relating to another person better. So two people are working on how to relate to each other better. So that's marriage counseling with two people. But if just one person is working on how he or she can relate to their spouse better, so that's also marriage counseling. It's just marriage counseling for one person. So that, that's pretty easy to um, make the determination if you're going to get kind of support. You just ask the first, first time, do you do marriage counseling for one person? And if they laugh and say, well, that's impossible, oh, okay, no problem. Um, and you just keep looking. But if somebody says, yeah, I get it, I know exactly what you're trying to do, then uh, you're probably talking to the right person. On the other hand, it means that sometimes an individual therapist is not the right person either. It's really someone who will, who will help you work through uh, relationships specifically because some, there are some individual counseling who are more focused on making you, you know, finding your own happiness. Right. And, and like, unfortunately, there's those stories where the therapist helped her realize that divorce is okay instead of helping right. her getting the skills to work on the marriage. Right. So right. it's really important to see if they're marriage motivated or just happiness motivated. So these are some questions. Yeah, really uh, that's a very, very, very good. And, and you, may, you mentioned there are some stories, and it's more than some stories. It's 
it's frighteningly common that people will seek out, um, they'll go to therapy, seek out some type of professional help. The conclusion they come to is, you know, don't worry, there's not such a stigma of being divorced and it's okay. And um, I think a person, I, I, I've, I've seen this before, and, and I have to be careful how I say it. Uh, maybe someone could even advise me but if there are words that are, that are more palatable. And perhaps against my better judgment, I'll say it again. Um, there, the mental health profession, this is a sweeping, broad generalization, uh, and should be taken as such. Um, by design, is amoral. What do I mean by amoral? Moral means that I do what's right. Moral means I know what's right and I don't care. Amoral means when I discuss it's not a criterion. It's not we're not going to purposely do anything moral, but we're not going to force ourselves to do something moral just because it's moral. So, in other words, I design, again, this is a sweet generalization, but the sort of clinical attachment that many therapists have is sort of like, look, I'm not here to tell you right from wrong. Go ask your rabbi. Uh, I'm here to figure out what works for you. Whether it's moral or it's not moral, it's not my judgment. Like you wouldn't ask a therapist to Shiloh and Bob McCullough, so you don't have to, you know, it's not really their problem to be a Mashpia and to tell you what's, what's right and wrong. Um, they're just trying to help you find what works for you. So when you go into that type of setting, it's really, onus is really on you to say what works for you. And as a Torah observing Jew, you have to establish, look, if it's going to serve Hashem better, then it works for me. If it doesn't help me serve Hashem better, then even if it works for me, it doesn't work for me. Because it's not about what's going to immediately more convenient or more expedient or feel better. It's about the big picture. It's about me doing the flippers this world that I shall know what was sent you for. So that's your, like I said, the onus is on you. You have to come in and be clear about your value system. Um, it's more than just saying, are you a pro-marriage marriage counselor when you, you know, go seeking professional help. It's more about saying, look, my Jewish values are the foundation of my worldview. I want you to make sure that we are working within that framework. And... Um, a, a therapist really shouldn't have any objection to that whatsoever. Um, just like it's not their problem to make sure that you are not being immoral, they don't have any objection for you to be moral. So um, if you make it clear that's what works for you, that's your value system. Any success you have has to be a success as defined by the, by, by the standards of a uh, then not only should they not have any problem with that, but a good therapist will help you to do that and to do something that will, will work for you on every level. And ultimately, you know, any solution, that's a true solution, does work on every level, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially, physically. But that is about... a previous call that it, you should be working in tandem with a a mental health counselor, specialist, and a rubber mashpia to make sure that everything is aligned. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, don't expect the therapist to do the rabbi's job, and don't expect the rabbi to do the therapist's job. Um, if, but if you want to know if something's wrong or right, or not just necessarily, you know, shulchanodach, you know, uh, letter of the law, but you want to go beyond the letter of the law, you want to know, according to Mr. And, yeah, don't, don't expect the therapist. It's not a problem to figure that out. You have to only really come in with your value system, come in with your, your Jewish or even your Hasidic 
support system, which means Rav and Mashpia to check those things out with, but in tandem with getting tools from, uh, from, from the therapist. Okay. So thank you. Uh, we have one, to, uh, one last question that came in. When we're talking about Chinuch, and there's really one best way to raise our kids, I can't just let go. You know, my way is the better way. I hear that. I hear that. I hear that, and, and what I'm going to say is that there's a lot of, there are a lot of and perhaps this is not an entirely satisfying answer, but what I'll say is like this. The self-bias, the, the relationship between the parents that the children see in the home, in some ways is the biggest thing that we do them. Um, and, it, and certainly it's the foundation for all of any other lessons we teach them are only really um, reinforced by, by the peace between mother and father. So I, I think something, there's something to, to consider. It's, it's perhaps this is an imperfect comparison, but it's along the lines of the story of the, the fellow who wanted to say Kaddish, that he had Yorzeit for, for one of his parents, and that somebody, uh, somebody else had Kadima, they had priority, and there was an issue where one person could say Kaddish, and so he bowed out. And, um, you know, the story is told of various days you saw, but the punchline is always the same, and the punchlines are true. The true purpose of Kaddish is a schus for the Neshama. What's a greater schus for the Neshama than the other person say Kaddish? So along the same lines, if you can compromise, that lesson is not lost. Even if they can't spell it out, I mean, even if they can't necessarily articulate, that's what they've seen, but they feel there's peace, that there are two mature adults who are, who are trying to live in peace and trying to put their egos aside. And that, that lesson is, is just as powerful as any other one you're teaching, if, if not more. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, uh, any anything is really another way to look at it, and let go sometimes is is the answer. Whether it's even if sometimes it's a compromise doesn't work, like it's either this school or that school, but sometimes the idea of just the children seeing healthy relationship is even more important than the schools that they're going to. Um, yeah, children seeing healthy relationships in their home. They, right. That is, that's huge. It's absolutely huge, and um, you know that's that's worthy of a whole other, a whole other call. How much that affects not just the children in your home, but the children in a community, and therefore the entire community by ripple effect, and the amount of faith. That, that children have in the system and they have in their community and they have in, in their religion and they have in their upbringing, yeah, it, it's based on the maturity of the relationships of the adults in their home where they grew up. Yeah, that affects everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so thank you, Rabbi. Uh, those are the questions that we'll address for tonight. If anyone has any other questions, you can send it to us at info at adayad.org, or you can ask them anonymously at www.adayad.org slash ask-anonymous question. This, record, this either conference call was recorded and will be available at adayad.org slash past-events, as well as any of the other uh, conference calls and other uh, events that we've had in the past. So thank you all and good night. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you very much.